0: Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on How? Discovering God's Heart for His People. Now, the most important thing that we can do is for us to come to the realization and understanding that we're lost, we're sinful, we're alienated from the Savior, and that each and every one of us need a personal encounter with Christ We can't live on our family's faith. We can't live on borrowed convictions or hand-me-downs. We have to have a personal encounter with Jesus through repentance and through faith. And when we come to faith in Christ Jesus, it is the opening of the door for growth. It's not the end of the adventure. It's the opening. And so God in his kindness, God in his kindness has allowed us to have a copy of the Word of God. For many of us in this room, we've got more copies laying around the house than you can shake a stick at. The Bible out, many of us have that downloaded. So every person in this room has access to the Word of God. Based on 2 Timothy 3, the Scripture says this, all Scripture... And we believe here at the Cross Logan Bill, we're talking about from Genesis through Revelation, all scripture is inspired by God. The word inspired means it's God-breathed, God-driven. It's inspired by God. And it goes on to say that it is profitable. The word profitable means uh, to be uh, advantageous for you. It's profitable. If you will dive into it, and if you will obey it, and if you will discover The written revelation of God, man, there's so many advantages. And then he says this, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Now, listen to me. We're going to break down a little bit on how to study the word. But if I'm studying it myself, I'm breaking down the word scripture. What does it mean? I'm breaking down the word inspired. What does it mean? I'm breaking down the word profitable, which I already did for you. And when I get to even talking about it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness if you're a student you would write this down what, what what does it literally just simply mean it tells you what's right it tells you what's not right it tells you how to get right and it tells you how to stay right so when you look at the four words right there teaching reproof correction training and righteousness I promise you that's what it means this is right now reproof that's not right come on this is how you can get right this is how you can stay right. So, the word, Genesis through Revelation, Hebrews 4, it says this For the word of God, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two edged sword. And the word of God, if you keep on reading, it says it's able to judge even the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When you pick this up, this is a living book. This book is alive. It's inspired. It's profitable. It's got all these advantages to it. ah! and God has allowed us to have a copy of it. Now, hear me up. As we embrace Christ, and as we surrender to the lordship of Jesus, and as we start to grow in Jesus Christ, it is absolutely essential that each and every one of us Learn to study and dive into the Word ourselves so that we're not dependent upon other people. When I was a child, I thought as a child, a reason as a child, but when I became a man, I did away with childish things. I promise you right now, it is essential that we learn to dive into the Word and study it. My prof back in seminary said this, A person, Tim, who does not read will always be at the mercy of one who does And it's one of my favorite quotes that that guy ever shared with me. And I was like, that's essential. If I do not read, all I'm doing is I'm allowing my mind to be influenced by someone else. And so the importance of studying reading is incredible. Hebrews chapter 5 gives us a great challenge. Listen to what he says, 13 and 14. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. Milk. I just listen to somebody else. Oh, I said I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle. I jumped in a tank of water. Uh, I, I, I'm just sucking milk. I'm over here, uh, been around church for five years, 25 years, and I look like I'm three months old. I just suck milk. I, I, I don't grow. I just listen to what somebody else says, and I, I'm okay. That, that, that's not sufficient. He goes on to say, He's an infant. I don't want to be an infant. And I'm not going to train up a next generation of infants. He goes on to say, solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to be able to discern good and evil. Now, here's what I want you to hear. I've had so many people tell me over the years, Tim, I I just read the Bible, but I don't understand it, and I don't comprehend it, and I don't retain it. Today, that stops. I, I read it, but I don't understand it. I, I I mean, I can't retain anything. I know I read that somewhere, but I can't remember where I read it. Solid food. If we're going to get to solid food, we're going to have to learn to do an inductive study approach to the scripture. There's going to be three words I'll build on here. When I do an inductive study, I'm spending time in observation. I'm spending time in interpretation, and I'm spending time in application. Now, for me personally, as I study it, observation, interpretation, application, the reason behind it is to lead to personal transformation and growth. So every week when I stand here, my proclamation comes out of observation, interpretation, and application. I promise you, it's the model that I use to study. Crawford Loretz, Jody Heiss, who is our congressman now in D.C., a couple of these brothers were instrumental in teaching me how to study the Bible. Howard Hendricks has a book. He was a great mentor of mine at a distance. Uh, living by the book, he breaks this down right here. And when you're able to handle the text within the context, you'll get to know the heart of God. I've heard people say, well, hey, hey brother, when you read the Bible... There's all these different kinds of interpretations. And I go, no, there's not. There's one interpretation. One interpretation, there's many applications, but there's only one interpretation. When God said what God said, God didn't mean 48 different things by what he said. He meant what he said. And that's where we have to study. Now, you will hear me personally say at times, we do not cut and paste or a la carte scripture, which means we don't take a text out of context. And we don't, come a, we don't come in here with just the idea that we're just going to teach a topic and we'll find a verse to support it. That's not it. My work and definition of a la carte, and I think it's important, is taking things out of context to promote an agenda or idea that is inconsistent with the whole of truth. And there's so many teachers out there that a la carte, and they make a strong argument, but they're inconsistent with the whole of truth. How do I protect myself against that, and how do you protect yourself against that in regards to receiving something that's not true? There's a lot of fallacious heretics in our culture today, Jack, and you know it, brother. So here's what I I want you to hear loud and clear. If we can get here, this Bible right here is alive. This Bible here is active. This Bible is reverent and relevant. This is a relational book right here. This book invites us to a relationship with God and a relationship with those that he used to write it. It's a relational book. If I met you for the very first time, it may be something like, uh, hey, uh, Sandra, how are you doing? You know, she tells me her name, but then I would say, hey, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Where where did you go to school? Uh, uh, What kind of hobbies are you involved in? Do you have family? How many kids do you have? Who are you married to? Uh, I would ask her questions because she's a living person. All right, you with me? She's a living person, but she's got a story and a narrative to her. When I pick up the Word of God, the Word of God is alive, and it's a living book. One of the things that you can do even to go deeper in a relationship is to say this. Hey, Derek, good to see you. Hey, man, share with me who your hero is. Share with me a highlight that's happened in the last two weeks, and share with me a hardship. Oh, if we go hero, highlight, and hardship, we get to know somebody's story. Or you can say, hey, hey, uh, good to see you. Hey, hey, share with me a defining moment. I want to hear something that was a defining moment in your life. You get to know their heart better. Or if you knew the real me, you would know this about me. Walls start to come down when you develop relationship with people will all start to come down when you develop the same kind of mindset with the Word of God. Oh, I'm reading this book right here. It's alive. Well, who's writing this book? Who's writing this specific book in the Bible? Who's he writing it to? Did he have any defining moments? What do we know about him? Where was he at when he wrote it? What are the key places? What are the key people? Uh, what are the key dates and themes going on during that time? Oh, When you start to read it, it will come alive to you when you read it in a relational way. Oh, Paul's writing this. Paul's not some fictitious Disney character. He was a real human being. So I pick it up and I'm like, Paul, who was he? What do we know about him? What's his story? You go back into the early pages of Acts. Man, he was persecuting the church. He was ticked. Man, this dude was brilliant. He studied under a guy by the name of Gamaliel. Who's Gamaliel? Why was he so influential? Why did he have so much influence in Paul's life? Well, what do we know about old Paul? When did he come to faith in Christ? Acts 9, oh, Damascus Road. He got fried, man. The Holy Spirit told him to quit running from him and quit abusing other people in his name. And Paul came to faith. No way. That's Paul's story. What happened after he met Jesus? Read about it. He's a real person. And when you're able to approach the Bible as if it's alive, it's living, it's relevant, it's reverent, you go, wow, I identify with that guy. Come on, the Bible is alive, and dusty Bibles will lead to dirty lives. If you don't pick it up, and if you don't read it, and you don't study it, you're not going to know the heart of God. So all of these kind of relational questions are crucial. Now, here's some things that have helped me. A lot of the Bibles that are out there now have like uh, summaries on the front side. Here's one I personally use, me. I use the ESV study Bible, all right? Most of my study is in the NASB, New American Standard Bible, or the ESV, the English Standard Version. I personally believe that based on study and accuracy of manuscripts, these are two of the strongest ones on the shelf today that we can be reading from. I just believe they're very, very strong. Now, the ESV study Bible, it's amazing when you pick it up And even when you start to look at it, let me see the next one. Okay, I'm going to dive into 1 Timothy here in a bit. But if you've got a good study Bible, it will give you the author, the title, the date, themes, key themes, background, all this kind of stuff. I promise you, it's it's just there. And even when you start to look at, like, the summary on the front side, who's writing it, who's he writing it to, what was the time, what was happening— even as you start to dive into it, let me see the next one. I mean, it's like the gospel produces holiness. Look, it's a theme throughout it with all these passages. Evangelism is essential. It's throughout First Timothy. Uh, evidence of reception of the gospel is that your behavior is going to change and you're going to desire to be involved in corporate worship and do it right. And it's just all these different themes here you go, oh, that gives me an overview of what I'm reading, who's writing it, what the purpose was, what the tension was, and man, it starts to come alive. Does this make sense to you? Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? How long have you been doing that? Oh, the Word is alive. Another resource that I use is the MacArthur Study Bible. I got turned on to the teachings of John MacArthur years ago, but I like his Study Bible because he gives interpretation of the text. So if you're studying and you've got the Bible, I use everything on the Kindle, but if I click the verse, all of a sudden, bam, he gives interpretation. Now, I'm not saying I dot every I and cross every T with John MacArthur. I mean, he... There's some differing views here and there, but when it comes to the purity of the text in regards to the interpretation, I think MacArthur handles it very well. I used the resource for years, and I still use it called the Expository Bible Commentary. And man, it was this huge volume, but that one helped me right there. When I study the language, I use a guy by the name of Spiros Zodiotes, who's broken down the New Testament, and I study words from him. So there's resources out there that can be profitable, but there's also, I'm just telling you, certain commentaries out there that you need to stay away from. Some of these people got some jacked up views on the scripture. And so stay conservative and stay with somebody that handles the text right. Now, just hear me on this one. This is so, so, so important. If I'm studying the Bible, there's all these different kinds of passages inside the Bible. The thing I'm going to break down today is called a discourse or a teaching, and it's where we find doctrine. And so there's basically like multiple uh, passages that you'll read inside the Bible. So 1 Timothy 3, I'm going to dive into that. It is a teaching, which means one thought builds on the next and the text continues to unfold. Uh, If you read Ephesians chapter 4, uh, where he's talking about this is who you are in Christ and this is how you to walk as a believer in Christ. Ashley Blair, do you, you hear me? She just told me to move where she could take a picture of the slide. Bert's got his phone out taking a picture. I told her, hey, the more slides, the better because people will take photos and they're going to go back and study it. Oh, good job, Ashley. You made enough slides for us. That's awesome. So, so, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. A discourse teaching will tell you what to do, but usually the text continues to build on itself. It is a teaching. You follow me there? When I'm reading a discourse, the epistles are flooded with teaching. The pastoral epistles, flooded with teaching. So Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. It's a teaching so that you can stand against the schemes of the enemy. It's a teaching. Gird your loins with truth. Bam. Then he's building one thing on the other. It's a teaching. Here it is. Here's what I want you to do. Great. Then you deal with what we call narratives or stories. And when you're reading and studying a narrative or a story, listen to me, it it is usually just one major point being made. If you're reading like John chapter 11, that's where Jesus is hanging out with Mary and Martha after Lazarus has died, and there's this story. It's just this interaction. It's not this teaching of discourse stuff. It's just a narrative and a story. And he's painting a story, and there's usually one major point, Dalton, in a story. And Jesus gets to the story there where he says, do you not realize that I'm the resurrection and the life? That's the central point of that story. It's not about them crying and weeping, and if if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. It's a story. Same thing with like 1 Samuel chapter 17 with David and Goliath. So many people know it, but it's a story. And there's one central Theme in it, that you will not defy my God. My God is bigger than you are, Goliath, and your Philistine nation. There's one major point, Steve, as we study it. So here's here's another one. Then you've got passages that are in symbolic. And, And people a lot of times go, Well, I just believe that you take the Bible literal. No, you don't. I promise you, you don't. You take most of it literal, but some of it is symbolic. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have anything to do with me. The disciples were not knelt down at the cross, cutting his flesh and drinking his blood. It's symbolic. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. You don't believe that because you've lost it and you've got two eyes. It's symbolic. Oh, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I'd be singing Jimmy Buffett, a pirate looks at 40 today because none of you would have but one hand, maybe. It's symbolic. So when you study it, you go, okay, there's, this is symbolic. Cut it off. Quit lusting. Get rid of it. Your hand's causing you to sin? Drop it. Anything that's uh, arousing the flesh and causing you to suppress the spirit of God, stop it. Then you have uh, books of eschatology and prophetic books. You study these different. When you study Daniel and Revelation, you have to take a different approach on those books. And, and, and I'm telling you, you get into the inductive piece, but it's like, all right, John's writing this. There's so much, Mike, in like Revelation 12, 13, all through the end of it. it this is all end-time stuff. Daniel prophesied of end-time stuff. Ezekiel even prophesied of end time stuff. So you have to stop and go, hey, help me out here. Yeah, that's eschatology. It's prophetic, but you can't necessarily apply the prophetic word the way you do the teaching of a discourse. And then you've got even wisdom books like Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, a lot of the writings in Psalms. So these are practical My buddy Andrew, he he was working through something last week after the message. And he was like, hey, Psalm 4 says this, but Ephesians 4 says this. And I'm like, that's right. And he goes, it's it's confusing to me. I said, man, I'm going to work through this with you. I'm so proud of you for diving into the word and trying to struggle through it. Psalm chapter 4, David's praying a prayer. And David's praying a prayer, basically saying, Lord, I'm ticked off these people. They piss me off. I'm sick and tired of dealing with them. I'm so stinking angry. I'm laying here in my bed, and and, and this is a head scratcher. It's a prayer. That's what, and and, and maybe you're a lot more pious and just holy and righteous than I am, but sometimes my prayers are that way. Lord, this woman is driving me freaking crazy. I can't put up with her anymore. I'm losing my mind. She's nuts. She's toxic. I'm not going to go tell her that. That's a prayer. You ever do that? You ever do that? It's like my pops. I never get my pop to pray on that day at lunch. I laugh so hard over it. When my niece Kim, her husband was mistreating her, and we sat down to eat lunch. Lord, I pray you would send somebody over there and beat the hell out of him with a baseball bat. I'm like... (laughs) We're sitting down eating fried chicken and biscuits and gravy. And he prayed that. And I'm like, (laughs) it was a prayer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not really sure that was God's assignment. But I'm like, even when you read prayers in Scripture, it's like, it's a prayer. And, And Dustin, some of them, is like Paul is saying in like Ephesians 1, hey, I'm praying for you. Even in Philippians, he goes, every time I think of you, i always mention you with prayer, with joy, in view of your participation in the gospel. I'm praying for you. I can borrow that prayer and pray it for other people. But sometimes, David in the Psalms, just get real with God. Quit posing and pretending. But you don't apply that one to your life like you do the, t- the teaching of Ephesians 4, where he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Oh, This is a teaching discourse. This is a prayer. Do you follow me? Come on, somebody. Hello. Come on, Richard. All right. Let me help you out, okay? So 1 Timothy 3, for an example. It's a discourse. It's a teaching. I want to study the word and know the word. It's a relational book. So 1 Timothy 3 basically says this. It is a trustworthy saying. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer... It is a fine work he desires to do, an overseer. All right, so you always ask the question when you start to read. I'm going to break this down just a little bit and give you some clues. But if I'm reading through this and studying it, it is a trustworthy statement. I would probably look up the word trustworthy statement, see what it means. If any man, I would then stop and I would circle that right there, any man. Some of the translations say any person. And here's the way I study it. Any man is that gender specific or gender neutral? Does this include pretty much anyone, or is there a specific attached to it? Then he goes on to say, "It is a fine work he desires to do." He. What did he use? He there in the pronoun is it specific or neutral? Then he goes on to say, "An overseer." Now there's four things he must be above reproach. He. It's already defined that it's gender specific. God gave incredible dignity when he said, there's neither male nor female in Christ. We're all one. There's different roles and responsibilities. But he goes, hey, he must be above reproach. The word above reproach means if you throw mud, accusations, and assaults at him, it doesn't stick to him. So the the word above reproach means it doesn't stick when you throw nasty comments and stuff at him. That's what it means. Now, he must be above reproach. Well, how does he show himself to be above reproach? It says he's going to be the husband of what, one wife. Well, the literal translation means he needs and he's got to be a one-woman man. Paul was writing to Timothy, and Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus, and Ephesus was known for polygamy, Ephesus was known for temple prostitution, Ephesus was known for a lot of sexual corruption, and he goes, he's got to be a one-woman man. Well, I spoke at a church yesterday morning to a men's group down in Noonan, and the guy told me, well, you can't be a deacon in our church if you've been uh, married and divorced. I'm like, really? I understand that's the old Baptist flavor. But the scripture says he must be a one-woman man. What happened to this guy? Well, his wife left him. Really? Did he try to reconcile? Yeah. But she took off and bolted and married somebody else. She divorced him. So is he free to remarry? Yes. Is now after... Being in this new marriage, is he a one-woman man? Yeah, he's not a womanizer. He's not going after all these other women. He's a one-woman man. That's how you show yourself above reproach. But that's a translation in certain groups where people go, well, you're disqualified. It's like you're not. Are you a one-woman man? Yes. He goes on to say temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable. All this stuff, I would look it up. But I'm just telling you, it's ways you show you're above reproach. It's one of the he must statements. Here's the second one. He must be one who manages his own household well. That's the second he must. How, how, how well does he manage his, manage his household? Is he producing godly offspring? How well does he coach them up? And I, I promise you right now, he says, how can you lead God's church when you can't even lead your own house? That's jacked up. You want to go over here and lead 800 people in a church and you can't figure out how to lead four? <laughs> Homie. Your math is mistaken. You've got ambition, but you're not qualified. I promise you, your testimony is your life, your wife and kids, guys. That's me. What's your resume, Tim? My life. Look at me. My wife, my kids. That's 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 what I got. Third thing, he must not be a new convert. Hey, don't let anybody into overseeing and leadership real quick. Don't let him be a new convert because he might become too conceited and he's going to royally jack it up. The Puritans would make you wait until you were at least 40 where a lot of these things were so established in your life, you go, all right, that guy has proved himself over the last 18 years. He's above reproach. He's a one-woman man. He, he, he carries his household well, and he's not a new convert. The dude's been walking with Jesus for a while. And I've seen so many young guys in their 20s, John, try to go out and start churches and all that stuff. They don't have enough depth. They don't have enough maturity. And they're going with emotion and excitement. And before you know it, three, five, eight years down the road, they blow it up. Well, you just violated Scripture. Just wait. You can serve in ministry. But as far as an overseer, Mike, can't do it yet. You gotta, and then he says this. You've got to have a good reputation with those outside the church. So if I'm studying a doctrinal teaching discourse, do you see, like if you read through even 1 Timothy 3, you go, this is a teaching, and there's four he must statements he's making toward those that would be overseers, Episcopos is the word, elder shepherd, whatever, pastors, that's the word, yes. All right, so how, how, do, you, how do you do it? Observation. Take photos, get online, get the notes, but spend time in observation when you study. Again, the simplistic uh, approach is going to be this: Who's the author? Who's the author? This one, Paul. Back to 1 Timothy chapter one, verse one. Paul, he identifies himself. Who's? What's the purpose? Hey, Amen. Live out the gospel in tangible ways. Let's go. Show that you're really a, a child of the King. Hey, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness in your faith, your speech, your conduct. Show yourself as an example to others. Hey, Timothy, pay close attention to your own doctrine. Fan it to fire the gifts that are inside of you. Come on, there should be tangible evidence in your life that you say that you belong to Christ. The right root produces right fruit. When you say that you belong and there's no fruit, man, there's a root issue. Check yourself, brother. And he lays out all this stuff on how to coach people up. I mean, when you start to get into it, keywords, verbs, is there any action words? What is he saying, do? Progression of thought, comparison, contrast. I spend time, like even in this text, and I would circle it going, oh, that's a key word. Why does he use that word there? Does this make sense to you? It, It will absolutely start to change you. This is a relational book. You've got, I promise you, if you read it and if you study it, You'll start to understand it. You'll start to retain it. You'll start to comprehend it. You'll start to allow the Holy Spirit to implement it. I promise you. There's so many drive-by readers. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Tell me about your word time. I I just read the daily bread. When? Oh, in the morning. Sitting on the toilet. That's your holy walk with God. That's how you're going to approach God. You read that one-minute Devo thought. And you're out the door. Yeah. No wonder you're so shallow. No wonder you're regarded as a spiritual infant. No wonder you're still sucking on Gerbers. You don't have to. Even in the Hebrews passage, he writes and he goes, by this time, many of you ought to be teachers by by now. But you still have to have somebody else teach you the elementary principles of Christ. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature. It's time to get serious about maturation. Observation. Here's some other stuff. I mean, I would write down keywords to define. I would. I would write that word down. Hey, Webster's 1828. It is really a strong dictionary. I mean, when you, don't don't use this Merriam-Webster collegiate crap. It's not it's not happening. There, there there's so many softened views that some of these modern translation dictionaries use. I use Holman Bible Dictionary. It's pure. Webster's 1828, knowing when he wrote that one, there's usually verses attached. I mean, his words are defined pretty much in a biblical way. Oh, it's a great tool to use. Why did he use that word or phrase? What is being implied by this statement? Oh, look at the progression of what he's building on here back to the Ephesians 6. Put on the armor. When you've done everything to stand, now stand because you've got the armor. You're ready to do battle. It's a progression, okay? What 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 is he saying there? And then I move from uh, observation. Okay, now I want to move into interpretation. I promise you, if you use this, it's going to change you. It will it will illuminate your study. Define the key word. Why did he use that word there? Why did he use a different word there? I mean. I've got Word Search by the Navigators. I started building my library years ago because I, here, here's the reason why. I want to know Jesus. I want to know the fullness of who my Savior is. I want to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that when people squeeze me, I leak the power of the gospel. I do. Do you always do it? No, I leak sometimes. I jack it up. But I do. That's my heart in it. So why did you become a student of the Word? Well, I I got into this thing years ago when I started studying church history, and I started even studying churches around the world, and I started studying, like in China and different places, that they were removing the Bible from them. And I'm like, well, if the U.S. ever got so liberal, which there's signs of it, and people tried to take away the Word of God, they could take the manuscript out of my hand, but they can't take it off my heart. And if I've meditated on it and memorized it, they can't remove it out of my heart. So I'm like, man, I've got to know the Word of God. And I would take one book. I mean, Philippians is like one of my favorite books. You name the book. I would take the book of Philippians. And I'm like, all right, I would read that book for one week. I would read it in the morning, four chapters. I would read it at night. And when I would read it, Dan, I would just sit there and write down just general observations and thoughts as I read it. Second week, I would pick up Philippians and I would start in verse 1, chapter 1, and I would spend probably three or four weeks in chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus located in Philippi, including overseers and elders, et cetera. Grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. I'm like, I would go through it. All right, Paul, who is he? Timothy, who is he? What do we know about him? How did he get caught up over here hanging out with Paul? And then who's the overseers? And then he says to all the saints in Christ Jesus, oh, what a saint is. That word means holy one. I'm a saint based on scripture. And then he would say, I thank my God in all my prayers for you. And I would study that book for probably four months. And by the time I got through with Philippians, Now, here's part of the thought process. We've got 66 books, but when Paul wrote the letter to the believers in Philippi, I can promise you they had the Old Testament through Malachi, and they had the letter to the believers in Philippi. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, or nothing else. That's all they had. And I'm like, well, if that's all they had, let me treat it like that's all I've got, but let me get to know this. And I would devour Philippians, and by the time I walked out of that book, I was like, I know it. I know the heart behind it. I know the themes behind it. I know the purpose. And you end up memorizing so much of it because you're in it. I'm in this living book, and this living book is getting in me. Then I'd go to Galatians or Colossians or 1 Timothy. Come on. This is what you're going to do this week. I promise you. This is what you're going to do this week. And this is what you're going to do next week. And this is what you're going to do next year. You're gonna do what you value. You're gonna spend your time, and you're gonna spend your energy, and you're gonna spend your resources on what you value. If you value somebody's opinion on social media as being a validator for who you are, you're gonna stay on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. But if you really value knowing God, and getting connected with God, and diving deeper into the heart of God, you will say, this is a non-negotiable. You're going to do what you value. And you're going to end up hanging out with people that value what you value. So you better learn to value the right things and find the right playmates. I started finding people that valued knowing God, that valued worshiping God, that valued studying the heart of God. And I'm like, that's who I'm hanging out with. I mean, I ain't got so many hours in a day, Dustin. We're going to do that. So we spend time in observation, interpretation, man, I'm defining, I'm a cross-reference, I'm looking at different things, oh, and when I'm in interpretation, I do this with a passage. Write it out, I mean, Dustin does this in coaching people up. What did you read? What did it mean to you? How are you going to apply it? What did you read? What did it mean to you? How are you going to apply it? I promise you, if you take any passage and go, okay, what did I read? Read the text within the context. Steve, you know this as well as I do, brother. And you write out what you just read in your own words. Man, this is what I just read in my own words. That's the that's way I communicate. I'll take the word, but I'm like, all right, here's, here's the way I'm seeing it. Here's what God is saying in it. Then, Mike, we summarize it with just one quick, concise little paragraph. Hey, you just read a chapter, write a paragraph on what you just read. And if it's David and Goliath, if it's Jesus showing up with Lazarus, hey, Mary and Martha, these two sisters, oh, they were ticked at Jesus. They were hurting. They were sad. Even Jesus cried. And Lazarus died, and they got ticked because he didn't show up in time. And when Jesus shows up, he goes over there, and he tells everybody to hush, and he tells Lazarus to get up out of the dead. And the point he makes is, I'm resurrection and life. I create life, and I can raise it up again. That's what it means. I promise you, if you do that, it will start to mean something to you. If you drive by, read, it's not going to happen. All right? Capture the main point with one sentence. Hey, reduce it down. Jesus is resurrection and life. He conquered death and on the grave. Bam. That's it. I go from observation to interpretation, now to application. And I may do a quick review. All right, who's writing it? Who did he write it to? But here, I'm like, all right, what based on what I just read, what is the timeless truths inside of 1 Timothy 3? Well, here's a timeless truth. You can't lead others if you're not above reproach, meaning you can't lead others if you can't lead your own household. You have no business trying to lead others when you're brand new to the uh, gospel and to the faith. So, I mean, just, these are all timeless, right? Then you ask, what needs immediate application right now in my life? What, based on what I just read, what do I need to apply right now? Based on what I just read, is there anything else in Scripture where God is saying a similar thing? Yes. Now, here's the specifics, and I'm going to wrap it with this. What does the Bible teach And this passage that I just read, what does it teach about personal faith, personal holiness, grace, mercy, the love of God? Based on what I just read, what does that text teach about walking holy before God? What does it teach about resentment? What does it teach about bitterness? What does it teach about hatred? What does it teach about unforgiveness? What does it teach about, you follow me? What did I just read? Okay, based on what I just read, Jeff, what should be my action? Is there anything I need to do right now, Lord? Because the Holy Spirit living inside of me, when I'm in the word of God, is desiring to say, "Hey, hey this right here applies to you. You got an attitude with that person over there. You got some bitterness there. Stop it. When I said, don't let any root of bitterness spring up, you're not to let one spring up, bro. Deal with it. You can't walk holy. You're quenching the Holy Spirit. Is there any sin pointed out right here that I need to repent and deal with right now? What truths should I follow right now? Is there any challenges that I need to apply? Is there any promises that God is inviting me to claim? Claim this promise, brother. And there's so many promises in the word of God. That he goes, claim it. I don't believe in name it and claim it. I believe if God names it, I can claim it but just randomly coming up with something? No, God, you named that. I can claim that. You said that's true. That's right. And I like what Zig Ziglar said. He said, hey, if you aim at nothing, you're destined to hit it. And I think we've got to raise our aim. And we've got to raise our aim that deep down inside, Andrew is like, I want to know the heart of God. I want to experience the glory of God, and and I want to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, and and I can't just keep going through the motions doing the same old thing. I I got to stop it. When Paul says in Philippians 3, I consider everything, in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, I consider everything. Ah, to be rubbish, to be a loss. I consider everything to not be worth anything in comparison to knowing Christ. And, And I promise you today, wherever you're at in the journey, we're all at different places. Some of us are even trying to figure out when we come in here, I don't even know if I believe there's a God. That's where you're at. We would love to just walk with you as you try to struggle through that. Eh, I mean, I believe there's a God, but I don't even know if he cares about what we do with life. He does. I promise you he loves you. He's for you, and he wants to see you flourish. But you're going to have to repent and come to faith in Christ. Tim, I don't know anything about the Bible. Dustin, I was there. Uh, Where do I start? I don't even know where to start. If you're a brand-new believer, Dustin encouraged a buddy that he and I were working with this week. He sent me on Friday. I met with a guy on Wednesday. The guy was here Wednesday night. He was again here Thursday night. And he was like, man, you could tell. The guy's desperate. He's starving. And Dustin says, I met with him on Friday. Hey, we're going to start in the book of the Gospel of John. That's what you told him. Here's the next step that we're going to do. We're going to read through that, and then we're going to sit down and talk through this. And he had about seven or eight things that, here's what I want you to do. I don't even know where to start. Then let us help you. Send me a note. Talk to me, Dustin, Steve, Nick, talk to Rick. Talk to one of us and say, hey, help me out. I don't even know where I'm at. Sometimes part of the conversation is helping a person discover where they're at. Here's where I'm at. I don't don't even know where I'm at. We'll we'll help you figure it out. We're going to figure out where you're at, and we're going to get a a plan together because we want to see you flourish. Guys, If you took this right here away from me, I'm God, before God, if you took the word of God away from me in my time of reading the word, studying the word, meditating on the word, and memorizing this word, you take this out of my life for the last 34 years, my marriage looks radically different, my parenting looks radically different, how I dealt with money looks radically different. How Joyce, I dealt with relationships, looks radically different. This right here, these, these truths in this word right here, these are the threads that has kept this fabric of my life together. Grass withers, yes it does. Flowers fade, going into the winter, yeah. But the word of God remains forever and ever and ever. And this is true for all people, of all places, of all times. Let's win. Let's rally together and you become the student of God and the student of the Word of God that will help you walk and flourish in your faith. Thank you so much for watching the message today. We hope that this message inspired you and challenged you as you watched it. Encourage you to check out our website. It's thecrossloganville.org. There's a lot of information about our church there. Uh, that maybe can help you answer some questions about who we are. And don't forget that on our website we have old messages and archived series, so you can spend a lot of time there learning and exploring. If you have any questions, you can contact us via the web, or you could call us at the church at 770-554-3322. Thanks again for watching.